So here we go. This morning, we're, we are taking a break out of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about, about this issue of church. And so here's the deal. You know that we've grown greatly over the last few uh, months and years and whatever. We've just had unbelievable growth. We've baptized over 150 or 160 people now since February. We got all kinds of ministries. We're into the community. We're adopting schools. And, 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 and here's my fear. That, that any, and you know this, this is true of organizations, this is true of churches, that a church would grow so large that they would forget about what they're about. And they had become just a religious machine, and this is just kind of what we do. And we miss and we forget about what we're about and why God designed the church and, and, and why there is church and everything. And so every once in a while, I bring us back to our story, and I bring us back to what God is doing in our church and kind of help you understand, especially for those of you who are new. If you're not new, you're going to learn some new stuff today, so don't check out on me. But we're just going to look at this issue. So we don't have a lot of time this morning for my testimony, but, but, but here's the deal. Uh, in the early 80s, I knew I was called to preach. I never wanted to be a pastor. Uh, that just was never a goal of mine. And uh, I felt I disqualified myself, and we'll talk about that later. And I just felt like because I hadn't lived a perfect life that I'd seen most pastors, you know, in my estimation, there's a lot of pastors that have led kind of a perfect life. And, and I didn't have the story of a normal pastor. And so I was like, how could God call me to preach if, if my testimony wasn't perfect like everyone else's? And so even though I was offered jobs just out of the blue for churches and things, and, and God was confirming in different ways, that, that I always struggled with that issue of, of being called to preach. And so in 1994, I was at a church. We had an opportunity to come with a church planning team to preach, to plant a church here in Pueblo, Colorado. And, uh, you, man, you just, you just got to understand this. Uh, I know what it's like to walk into a church service and feel like you're so unworthy of God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace. Because some choices and some things that went on in my life in 1979 and 1980 that I'm not proud of. And I feel like I just totally blew it. I know what it's like to walk into a church. And the hardest thing to do is to walk into a church when you feel like you're so unworthy of his grace and you're so unworthy of his love. And then you look around the room and you feel like everybody else has it together but you. And everybody else has lived the great life. And everybody else... I mean, I know what, what it's like to carry shame. I know what it's like to, to pray over and over and over, God forgive me, God forgive me, and never feeling like God does forgive you. Or you just, you just continually pray, and we'll talk about that. So uh, this church was birthed out of that burden. And so God and I, when I surrendered to preach and I decided to preach, we had this deal that I could just be me, and I could be transparent, and I could be real. And we'd just do church a little bit differently. Uh, that weekend, before we decided to come to Pueblo, Colorado, we lived in Houston, Texas at the time. And we had a, we had a second home. We had a condo on Lake Conroe. And so I spent the weekend by myself at, at the condo. And I fasted and I prayed about this decision. And so I've never been one that where you just search through Scripture and try to find some Scripture that confirms what you already want to do. Uh, I've always just had a systematic reading plan, reading through God's Word, and I figure God's sovereign and God knows where I'm reading and God can speak to me exactly where I'm reading and I don't need to hunt and peck and do all the other stuff. So that weekend, uh, God spoke to me, and when I say He spoke to me, He always speaks to me through His Word. 
I can't explain it to you, but there's something you know when you're reading through his word, and all of a sudden you just know that's for you. It touches you in your innermost soul where no one else can touch you. Uh, no one else even may know what you're going through, but God does. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to carry you on a journey. Uh, it's, is, this, is actually comes, this is a sermon I've been working on for 15 years. This is a life sermon for me. Uh, and, and then you'll be able to see why we design a church the way that we do. But anyway, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 43. If not, the words are going to come up on the screen. But I was reading through Isaiah, and I came to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. And all of a sudden, here's what the Scripture said. And so now that you kind of know where I'm at and where I, what I was dealing with, the Scripture says, forget the former things. You've got to understand the culture. He was talking to the Israelites. They had, been, they had rebelled. They were stiff-necked people, which means they, they were unresponsive to God. Their backs were totally towards God. They built idols. They worshipped other things. More things in their life were more important than God, whether it was popularity, whether it was possessions, whether it was success, whether it was all this other stuff. All these other things were way more important to them than God, and God wasn't really even on their radar screen. And so the Scripture says they were rebellious. It says that they were sinful. It says that God had no place in their life. And, they were, and, and, and God was trying to speak to them, but they couldn't hear God because they were focused on the past. They were focused on the sins of the past, and they felt unworthy uh, to God. And so God comes to them and says, hey, forget those things. Just forget the former things. See, if, if you try to live your life in the past, you'll, you'll miss what God has for you today. And if you live your life in the past, you can't change the past. You can't change your decisions as bad as you want to. You can't change the consequences. There's nothing you can change about your past. God can redeem your past. And here's how you know when you're over your past, and that is this, when your past begins to work for you and not against you. There's a lot of you, and, and when you feel unforgiven of the past, that all of a sudden you, you just, you, the past just holds you back because it's working against you. But when you, when you get set free, when you, when, you, when you get forgiveness, all of a sudden your past begins working for you. So he said, forget the former things, and then he goes a little bit deeper and he says, and don't dwell. And do not dwell on the past. In other words, it means to focus on. It means to pay attention to. He says, you know, not only do you need to forget the things of the past, you need to forget the things that you've done. But, boy, you're dwelling on it, and you know that. If you've, ever, if you've ever gone through your life where you haven't felt forgiven, you dwell on it, right? That's all you think of. You think of it when you come into church. You think of it when you pray. You think of it when you get up in the morning. You think of it when things go bad. You think of it when there's consequences. I mean, there's just something about this that when, when until you've gotten set free, there's this issue in your life that can happen to where you just, man, it, it can consume you. And the danger is this, it can keep you from, it can keep God from blessing you. It can keep you from having the things that God wants you to have. And, and so then he goes on in, in verse 19 and he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And that just really spoke to me, the church coming up. And he says, hey, and, and God said, you're not doing it. I'm doing it. Don't you understand this? See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing in a, in, in a community. I'm doing a new thing in your life. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? In other words, he said, do you not understand what I'm doing in your life? And see, this is what happens when you're so focused on the past and you're so focused on failure of the past. You can't perceive what God's doing in your life. You can't even understand because you're focused on the past. God can't even, he can't even, he couldn't even communicate. He can't communicate to you and I in those periods because we're focused on the past. We're focused on the junk and the stuff of the past that none of us can change. Only God can redeem. Only God can forgive. He said, do you not understand what, what I'm doing? 
It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Talking about the spiritual wastelands. He's talking about geographical wastelands. He says, don't you understand what's going on? I'm doing a new thing, and I want to do a new thing. And I'm making a way for you in the desert. But listen, if you're focused on the past, you can't see the way that God's making for you in the future. Man, nobody in this room, or shouldn't, but nobody drives a car by focused on in the rearview mirror. And we know that, right? Why is it spiritually? We, we live life spiritually focused in the rearview mirror. We're focused on the things of the past, and we're focused on things, hurts and pains and failures, and all this other stuff. And God is telling this people group, hey, don't focus on that. And get over it. Forget the former things. And this is why. And he, and he goes on deeper. Listen. The wild animals, they honor me. In other words, they worship me. If the wild animals worship me because I provide sun and I provide water and I provide food and I provide, then shouldn't you? I mean, that's exactly what he said. He says, the wild animals honor me, the jackals, the owls, because I, why? Because I provide water for them in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my, my people, uh, uh, my chosen people, the people that I form for myself, that they may what? That they may proclaim the, my praise. But, look at this, but you have, call, you have not called out to me. Why? Because you're focused on the past. Man, you, you can't get, you're dwelling on the past. You're not even praying to me. You're not even calling out to me. You're not even worshiping me. You don't even understand that I'm making a new way, that I have something for you that is different because you're so caught up in your past. And I want to free you from that is what he said. And then he says, uh, you have not called out on me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me. You don't even follow me. Man, you don't even tithe. He'll talk about that later. You don't even give. You don't even share your... You, it's like I don't even exist. You, you don't even care about me. And, you, and you're just disobedient. You see, my ministry was birthed out of my story. Now listen, I know it's his story, but it's his story how it relates to you. You will never, never carry Christianity down to a personal level until you get it away from just his story till you understand it's his story how it relates to you. This is why this is so personal to me. I mean, this is what I do is, is not because I have to. There's a lot of other things that I could do. And I never dreamed and never desired. This is never a goal of mine. I don't... I mean, this was never a goal that I set on life and says, I'll know I made it when I become a pastor. That was never me. It's how it's my story with how it relates to him. And then he goes on and he says, I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And, and, and he starts talking about this drink. And let me tell you something. When in, in the Old Testament, water is a metaphor for divine grace. That's really what he's talking about. Yeah, it's physical water for the animals. They praise me. I give you divine grace. You should praise me. I mean, I give you divine grace. In other words, everybody in this room needs divine grace. None of us have been perfect. None of us have lived a life without sin. None of us in this room uh, can look back over our past and say, you know what, I've lived a perfect life. I wouldn't change a thing. I, wouldn't, I don't need any do-overs or anything like that. And God says, you know what, I desire to give you what? Water for my chosen people, divine grace. And don't forget, he's talking to a people group that are in rebellion. God does not give up on you. Regardless of where you are this morning, 
I mean, that's his message. That's not my message. God never gives up on you. He, this morning, is trying to give you water to drink. He is trying to give you divine grace. He is trying to bring you and I to the point to where we understand this issue of divine grace and, and what that means. And so here's the deal. I found divine grace. Man, I don't look in the past any longer. Uh, Pat, my past doesn't hold me back. My past works for me, not against me. I got great freedom in my life. And here's my whole goal of ministry and why we do church the way that we do is because it is a burden and it is a passion to me to help everybody understand what divine grace means to them. That they can live life set free. And they can live life in complete and perfect relationship with God. Understand that their past has been forgiven. And they don't have to live life in the rearview mirror. But they can live life closely with Him. Then he goes on, watch this. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. Let me tell you something. A heart that's far from God will never be a giving heart. A heart that's far from God will never honor God with, with their money. In fact, as Jesus said that, the way that you and I handle our money is a reflection of the heart. And so he's like, guys, you are so far from me. You know the sacrifices. You know, the off you know what I've called you to do. And he goes on and he says, I have not burdened you with grain offerings nor worried you with, with demands of incense. You have not brought any fragrance, calmness for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But, but watch this, but you have. You have burdened me with your sins and you've worried me with your offenses because you, you're looking in the past. You're not even asking me for forgiveness. You're not even, you don't understand this issue of divine grace. I want to give water to you and I want to give drink to you. And I want to set you totally and completely free. And you're, that's a burden to me. It's almost like you having a child that you know you can help or a friend that you know you can help and they won't come to you and ask. They won't even take your advice. They're a burden to you, right? I mean, parents, you know this. When you want to help your children, they're rebellious or they, they have their back to you and you love them and you reach out to them and they reject that. I mean, emotionally, it can be like a burden to you to where it's hard to sleep at night, to where that's all that you think about how you can break in and how you can help them and how they can understand your love and that you want to help them and not hurt them. This is God. This is where God's at. Man, I love you, but you're a burden to me. Because I want to set you free and I want you to understand what forgiveness is about. And I want you to understand what divine grace is about. And then watch this. He goes deeper and he says this. Verse 25. I, even I, he who blots out your transgressions. Man, I'm the one that takes away sin. And then watch this. This was like a revelation to me. I mean, God revealed this to me in my life supernaturally at, at the lake there. And I understood something I'd never seen before. And I blot out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. See, I used to think God forgives us of our sins for us. And sometimes that's why you have problems with your past. Because you go, I don't deserve to be forgiven. Look what I did. I mean, I knew better. I did that same sin over and over and over. I mean, and so I don't deserve to be forgiven. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I forgave your sin for my sake. He forgives sin purely out of His love for us. Purely out of His love for us. His motivation to forgive us of sin is because His divine love for us and His care, because He doesn't want us to see us 
with hurt and pain and life. And then he says, and not only that, just so we're all on the same page, I choose to remember your sins no more. Whoa. God's sovereign. God's real. God's all-powerful. He can remember your sins, right? And he says, you know what? Because I love you, I choose. You know what that says to me and you? That if you've asked for forgiveness of sin and you've repented, and you go back to him the next day and say, God, please forgive me of that divorce, he's going, what divorce? God, please forgive me of adultery. What adultery? God, please forgive me for addiction. Please forgive me for, for, for gossip, for whatever. It's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? See, that's why 1 Corinthians 13, when it defines what love is, when it defines it out, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no records of wrongs. You realize that's true of God's culture, uh, character? The scripture says that God, I mean, when, when you have been completely forgiven of a sin and you go to him again and remind him of that sin in your life, that's new news to him. He's like, I didn't even know that. See, that's divine grace. That, 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 that's why scripture says that, that I, will, I will not treat you as your sins deserve. There's so many people. That when they're looking at life in the past and things go bad and they have financial problems, they have car problems, they have relational problems, they ah, it's God getting even with me. God's word says, I don't even treat you as your sins deserve. And then he goes on, he says, hey, let, let's just talk about this. Let's just have a conversation. Why don't you review the past with me? Let us argue the matter together. State your case of innocence. In other words, you're not innocent. You've got to understand this. I know you're not innocent. God knew. I mean, this is like a prosecuting attorney. He says, you think you're not innocent. Watch this. He says, your first father sinned. Your, your spokesman uh, rebelled against me. So I will disgrace the dignitaries of your temple, and I will consign Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. But now, okay, you're not perfect. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. I don't give up on you. If you notice in the scripture that whom I have chosen is over and over and over. He's trying to get them to understand that, listen, I love you. I don't give up. Once you're mine, you're mine. I don't give up on you. I don't quit caring for you. I don't quit loving you. You are mine because I have chosen you. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, he who formed you in the womb. In other words, if he made you, if he is your creator, and he is, then he knows exactly what you and I need. And will what? And will help you. The reason that you're burdened to me is you won't let me help you. And don't you, I mean, you're looking in the past. I, I, I can't even help you. Because you won't even come to me. You won't even, because it's a barrier to you. Oh, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. And then all of a sudden, what I thought was a group of scriptures that was a call to ministry has become my outline for ministry. It is the outline of ministry in which God wants me to organize a church. God wants me to lead a people group. God wants me to, to, to do ministry. And then he says, here's all this stuff. And here's the great thing about God's word. God's word not only tells us what to do, but it tells us how to do it. It'd be really unfair if he told us what to do without telling us how to do it. And then in, 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 in chapter 44, he says this, for what? For I will pour water on a thirsty land. In other words, I will pour divine grace 
on only those who want it. In other words, you, you get divine grace if you're really thirsty for it. Now, I mean, you've got to understand this. People that come into the presence of God, people that come into church, not everybody receives divine grace. There are some that come in, they don't even desire it. They're not even thirsty for it. They may be dry. They may need it. But you know what? They are going through the motions. They are doing the deal. And God has said, wait a minute, I give divine grace to my chosen people. Oh, one qualifier, those who are thirsty for it. And streams on dry ground. Again, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. Here comes a promise. I'll pour my spirit out on you. You'll live life at a different level. You'll live life at a different spiritual level. And my blessing on your descendants. I want to give you just a few things. And then I'm going to talk to you real briefly at the end about how we're lining up and some changes that we're doing to line up with this here at Fellowship of the Rockies uh, with the demands that we have of ministry and everything. But here's the deal. The first thing is this. When you look at this, preaching. The proclamation of God's word. Now listen, when I use that word preaching, I use it very broadly. That includes teaching. That includes small groups. That includes what happens in our children's ministry. That includes what happens in the youth ministry. That includes what happens in our ladies' ministry. That includes what happens in our men's ministry. That includes what happens. So when I use this term uh, preaching, it is used in a broad context, but it's also used in a focus. And my focus, my responsibility is just, just preaching God's word. And listen, I preach every message like it's my last. I mean, I almost envision that, okay, if I preach this message and God takes me home right after the message, would I be happy with that message? Would I be happy with that's my last message? Would I lay it all out on the field? Would I tell everybody what he wanted me to tell them without worry of who's going to get upset, who's going to get mad, who's going to get their feelings hurt or whatever? Would I just totally be obedient to him? Because here's what scripture teaches and here's what I believe, that if I preach the most relevant messages that I can, the most biblical, the most scriptural message that I can, that, that are relative, uh, relevant to your life, then scripture says that is feeding people and the church will grow. I mean, the church will grow. Hey Amen. let me just tell you, there are believers at other church, churches and they are dying on the vine. Man, it is dry ground. And I not only have a burden for the unchurched or non-believers, I have a burden for believers that are not being fed, that are not being taught about divine grace, that are not being taught what God has for them and they're going through the motions. And let me, okay, be real, real just for a second. Well, the whole deal, but... Because some of you have come from other churches. I have somewhat of a reputation in town, especially amongst the pastors or other churches, that I'm a sheep stealer. <laughs> no, I'm just telling you. And you know what? I've never stole one sheep. But I promise you I will plant grass. And I will provide water. And if they visit here, and if they come here, I want them to have a drink. I mean, isn't that what the good shepherd does? I mean, I've never stood in the parking lot of another church and put flyers on windshields of cars. <laughs> you know, 
I've never offered them video cameras or TVs if they just come and try us out or anything like that. But here's what I do know. When they have visited here, man, I want it to be like water on dry ground. I, I, just, I just have this commitment to God that I will pastor anyone who wants me to pastor them. And if you don't, I'm good with that. If you, if, if you find another place to where there's water that is served better, deeper feeding, and you feel like that, I'm, I'm honestly, I've always hated it in, 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 in pastor circles. And you'll hear pastors talk all the time, well, they're my people. You're not my people. You're children of God. And you can go anywhere you want. You can go anywhere God leads you to go. And I've never had this possessive spirit or this king, because it's his kingdom. It's not my kingdom, and it's not Fellowship of the Rockies' kingdom. And a lot of the comments we get here when people come is they'll come, man, oh, man, I didn't even know I wasn't being fed where I was at. I didn't even know the Bible was relevant to my life. I didn't know the Bible talked about my profession. I didn't know it talked about marriage. I didn't talk, know it talked about my dating life. I didn't know it talked about decisions, parenting, and all this other stuff. I didn't know the Bible could be so real and so relevant. Listen, God, we don't have to make God's Word relevant. It is relevant. It's a sin to make it irrelevant. It's a sin not to feed people. It's a, it's a sin not to help people understand this issue of divine grace. And we have people all the time that say, Man, the very subject that we've been talking about all week or dealing with, you talked about this week. I can't believe that. Do you have our house bugged? The answer is yes. There is a chip in your bulletin. Do not take your bulletin home. We monitor it. Man, I have people, we have people all the time Say, we can't understand it. There's just something so different here. I didn't know this was how church was. And I don't know. Listen, let me tell you something. Preaching is really hard for me. You know, there were so many years that I kept asking, God, do you are, are you sure? Do you really want me to preach? And God's like, I just said, please. You thought I said preach. <laughs> Did really good. But you know what? Here, here's what I've learned. Out of my inadequacies, preaching, God forces me to depend on Him. We look at you're supposed to, you're supposed to do life out of your strengths. Isn't God's word that says, "In your weaknesses, you'll be strong." Man, man, I struggle. All I know to do, because I'm not a professional speaker, all I know to do during the week is to open his word, allow it to speak to me, and then just be willing, out of obedience, to give you the revelation that I've learned during the week. Because... 
because it's just not a gift. I mean, I study the life of Jesus. Jesus was one of the greatest communicators ever. Fact is, all atheists, even atheists, believe that he was the greatest teacher ever. Fact is, there's non-Christians now that study his communicating principles. Did you know there's organizations, there's companies that have based their companies and some of their principles off of the teachings of Jesus, and their companies have flourished, their communication skills have improved because they may not believe him, but they under in him, but they understand. And so everybody that heard Jesus preach, they were amazed. Look at this. Matthew in 13:54 says, "Coming to his hometown," which tells me that God calls people to a specific people group, to a to a, to a region. He began teaching the people people in what in their church. And they were what? They were amazed. They never heard teaching like that. It was a religious structure. They never knew the Bible was relevant to their life. They never knew about divine grace and all this other stuff. Matthew twenty-two thirty-three. 33, when the crowds heard this, what? They were astonished at Jesus' teaching. Interesting story in John chapter 7. The, the rabbis, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus, so they sent him out and they sent the police out to go arrest Jesus. 7.32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, talking about Jesus. So the chief priest and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him, so they sent the police out. Verse 45, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priest and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him back? I mean, why didn't you arrest him? And you're like, oh man, you don't understand. No one has ever spoke that way, the, the way that that man does. I mean, in other words, the guards got saved. They met Christ. When you look at the style of preaching that Jesus had, one, you see that he, he, he always preached with authority. This is so important. Jesus always preached with authority. Matthew 7, 28, when, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were what? They were amazed again at his teachings. We've never heard these things. We never knew Christianity could be so real. So real because before this, it was rules and regulations. It's rules, regulations, rituals. You walked in, you walked out the same way. It didn't relate. It's just You just did the deal. Because he taught as what? As one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Listen, in their days, no one could, teach, could, could contradict the rabbis and the teachers of the law. They were above everyone. They were the experts. So, so no one could, could, uh, could contradict them. And so Jesus starts preaching. Jesus starts opening up the scriptures, letting the scriptures teach. And all of a sudden, he's contradicting them because they made up rules that disagreed with scripture. And, and that's what happens. That's what happens. When you can't contradict the religious people, it forces religious people then to just make up new rules to preach. That's where we get stuff like ladies can't wear pants. Uh, you can't dance. Don't play any card games in church or anywhere else. Don't, don't use any games that play with dice. Someone might think you're gambling. Ladies can't wear makeup, can't wear jewelry. Have to wear your hair up in buns. I, I've always told you that's not bondage, that's bondage huge problem but see that's what happens and <laughs> and so they start so here's what the rabbis did God gave us the big ten remember God gave us the ten commandments so they got to come up with new rules so what they came up with 640 commandments to, to how to live out the ten commandments but listen we laugh that same stuff goes on today that same listen I'm not critical of any denomination, so just hear my heart. I was raised in a denomination to where the denominational leaders, seminaries, and pastor, we could never contradict. They were above everyone. What they said went, even though we knew something had to be wrong here. And guess what? In churches like that, people come into churches like that, 
and they expect God to speak to them about zero. They come in, they get their coffee, they go, they sit in their church, and they grin and bear it for 60 minutes. They walk out. It doesn't relate to their life. It doesn't relate to anything that's going on in their life. But they do it because it's religious. And sooner or later they begin walking away from it because he says it's... Man, and if you preach and you give water to chosen people and you give drink and you give divine grace, something in people stirs in their heart. And Jesus not only spoke with authority, but Jesus spoke practically. Jesus didn't preach a bunch of religious nonsense and use a bunch of theological terms that nobody understands. I mean, we live in a culture to where we think, man, if we don't understand that preacher, he has to be deep. He has to be smart because I don't understand him. Jesus could have preached over everybody's head. Jesus didn't. Jesus did not preach a bunch of non-religious garbage. Let me give you some of Jesus' teaching. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worries in tomorrow. Just don't worry about tomorrow. Here's another one. If God gives food for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, how much more does he care for you? Don't worry about what you wear, your possessions and what you have. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And if he provides for them, how much more will he provide for you? He also says, stop being greedy. Just stop being greedy. Be willing to share your resources with others. The only thing that breaks greed in your life is giving. Because if you live life as a taker, financially, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, you'll never find peace. You'll never find fulfillment. You'll never find happiness. Jesus' teaching was not an end unto itself. He taught in a way that others could, so others could teach others. This comes naturally to me because I'm a pretty simple person. And I purposely teach in a way that you can remember and that you're able to teach others, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your community, that is just down to earth, and real. Jesus also spoke graphically. Jesus understood what experts are understanding now. That people think in pictures. That we're visual people. And good communicators can, can paint great pictures. And so Jesus would paint great pictures and then share stories. I mean, Jesus spoke graphically so people... Listen, let's just do this. It'll be some kind of fun. Just close your eyes. I want you to imagine with me. It's not a trick. I don't have a water pistol. I'm not going to squirt you in the face. And then laugh at you because you trusted me. But just close your eyes. Okay, you're back in Israel. You're in the desert. And, and, and you look over and there's a camel. I want you to walk over to that camel. With your left hand, I want you to start petting the side of that camel as you get closer and closer to it. With your right hand, look down at your right hand. In your right hand, you're going to see a needle. 
Now look at the eye of that needle. And here's what I want you to do. If you need your reading glasses, get your reading glasses out. <laughs> so look at the eye of that needle. Realize how small it is. Then I want you to take your left, left hand, put it on the rear of the camel. Stretch out your right hand as long as you can and put the needle in front of the camel. Now I want you to shove the camel through the eye of the needle. Okay, so you can look up. So what's your first response? Impossible, right? That's the story Jesus told when the disciples said impossible. He said, bingo, you got it. It is impossible for a man or a woman that is so enamored with their stuff, with their, their, with their possessions, that they can't accept me. A rich man, a rich woman cannot, it is that hard for a rich man and rich woman to enter the kingdom of heaven so, as long as their stuff has that much prominence in their life. And they can't accept me. And they can't walk with me. Jesus preached in a simple way. In a simple way. And then when you look at these verses in, in, in Isaiah, you realize worship is the end result of that. Listen, worship is this. Worship is just coming into the presence of God. Now, worship is more than music. See, a lot of times we had a bad view of worship. We think it's just music, and that's part of it, yeah. But worship is this. Worship is coming into the presence of God. Worship is... Man, worship is encountering God. Church is not to be about observing God. That's religion. You serve the professional clergy. Get in touch with God. You just watch. You don't do it. You just watch. That's why it never touches the innermost soul of the people that sit in those churches and those pews. See... Church is this. Church worship is about in entering, encountering, man, the presence of God. It's about encountering Him and, and every, every service. And I'm visual. But here's what I've seen more times than not, and something God gave me a while back when we were in worship. It's like at some point of the service, Jesus walks in those back doors. And he walks right up here. And he takes off his crown. He takes off his robe. He lays it at the altar. Then he's in that white gown. And he begins walking through the congregation, standing in front of you giving hugs. And some of you miss it because you're so distracted. Whether it's text messaging, whether it's phone calls, whether it's distractions going on around you. And Jesus is just standing there. Your distractions may even be the problems you're going through in life. Listen, don't allow what's wrong with your life to keep you from worshiping Him. Don't allow what you wish was happening in your life to keep you from worshiping Him. Worship is what is right with Him.
And I just have this vision. Because that's what, that's what Isaiah says, right? Those that receive divine grace are those that are thirsty for it. If someone can't shut the distractions out of their life here, I promise you they're not doing it outside of here. And to where he just walks around. And he may stand there for a few minutes. And if someone's too busy for him, he just moves on. Because he says, those who receive divine grace are those who are thirsty for it. That's why we do everything we can to set up an atmosphere that you can encounter God. That's why it grieves me so much when there's distractions everywhere. I'm like, oh man. Oh man, you have an opportunity of a lifetime and you're just missing it. And then he goes on in Isaiah and he says, here's what will happen when you do that. They will spring up like grass in a meadow. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about people meeting Christ. New growth. We've seen it 160 people since February. Very few churches ever get to witness that. And like popular trees by flowing streams. So he's saying that people will mature. That's why I'm doing the foundations class. And last week we had a hundred, or week before last, we had 130 people show up for the introductory class. If you signed up for it and you missed it, come on. If you haven't signed up for it, you want to come, come on. It's a fun deal. Verse 5. One will say, I belong to the Lord, and another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's and we'll take the name Israel. Here's what bothered me about this whole text, and God didn't give it to me until right before the, the service on Saturday night. I could not understand what streams in the desert were. I understood giving drink to my chosen people. I understood that a church is like a reservoir. It's, it's a lake. It's a reservoir to where people come to get drink and to get uh, fed and to, to receive everything. But it bothered me greatly what the streams in the desert mean. And you know what God gave me before the early service is this. You're the streams in the desert. You're the streams in the desert. This is like the reservoir. This is where we come to get drink. This is where we get divine grace. This is where we understand. This is where we deepen in him. And then if you could picture this, a lake, a reservoir, that when church lets out, there are streams going all over a spiritual desert, Pueblo, Colorado. That's what he's talking about. To where you're willing to talk to people about what God is doing in your life, whether it's in your, your, your job, your profession, or wherever. To where you understand that, guess what? You are a stream in a desert. To where you can just share, you can just invite someone to church. You can share what God's doing in your life, what you learned, whatever. To where you understand that you come across people, and you know this, you come across people every week. Man, they are dry ground. They are dry ground. And let me tell you what's happened here at Fellowship of the Rockies. 
has always been a burden of mine about reaching a community. And, and we've done, we have done so much. And so you guys know this. You can look around the room and come to any of our services and realize, man, oh, man, we're going to have to add another service. Or what, what are we going to do? And uh, there's some organizational things. And in, in October, uh, the, the leaders of our church begin meeting and talking and praying about what are we going to do. And, and, you, and you just got to understand this. When you plant a church, uh, you hire with very, very broad job descriptions. So people do multiple tasks. But as the church grows, you get the job descriptions very specific. Now, listen, no one's leaving, so don't get upset or concerned. Uh, no one's leaving. Everyone's staying. Uh, but we're just going to make an organizational change, and I want you to be aware of that. We're creating a new position called Associate Pastor of Ministry Operations that will help with the logistics. I mean, do you realize we manage well over 300 volunteers every week? It takes 300 volunteers people that give of their time so that you can have church for an hour so that we can do ministry the way that we do it. Do you realize our pastors right now are working seven days a week? I've got some guys that are just, I mean, they are unbelievable. I mean, it is the greatest group of men that I've ever and women on our staff that I've ever been with in my life and their commitment is just, but we can't keep sacrificing families. And there has to come to a point to where we say, you know, we've got to make some changes and we've got to step out in faith. And so in 2000, I hired Steve Allen. He's one of my closest friends. I love him like a brother. And so when we hired Steve Allen, Steve had a five-year plan that he'd lead worship and other things because Steve does a lot of stuff, not just worship. He's never focused just on worship. And that after five years, he had transitioned out to a new position. And so it's been eight years, and we're at that point, and, and Steve and I begin talking in, in, in November and uh, we have come to the, time, the, the conclusion that this is the time. So Steve is going to transition out of worship. And at that point, we didn't know how long it would be. We didn't know it would be two months, three months, or two years. Didn't care. Three months later, Steve calls me and says, man, you're not going to believe this. I got my replacement. What an awesome deal for a man that loves this church that much to where he'd be the one that find his replacement. And so we're going to hire a, a, a worship leader. Uh, Chad Fletcher is coming from Denver. Uh, we'll talk more about Chad and his family, four boys, 31 years of age and, uh, and everything. And Steve is going to move into a new position uh, called ministry, uh, Associate Pastor of Ministry Operations. And I can't tell you, man, I am so excited. Uh, this, is a, this is a critical, critical role in the life of our church. This kind of stuff just comes naturally to Steve. It doesn't come naturally to me. And you guys know, you heard Chris's testimony. Steve loves people. Steve is a servant. He has a servant heart, high character, high integrity. And I wouldn't want anyone else in this position but Steve Allen. So Steve has agreed to, to do that. We'll talk to you later about the logistics and the changes. But I'm telling you what, it's very rare that this kind of thing goes on in church. Usually someone gets mad and leaves, and there's a horrible deal. But, man, we, we got some guys here that are committed to allow God to lead and just be obedient. So as we walk through this transition, we need your prayers. We'd appreciate your prayers. If you have any questions, you call me, you ask me, you talk to Steve and talk to me and talk to anyone, talk to any of our leaders. I don't care. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. Our first two months of this, it was pretty emotional for Steve and I. When you're that close and you're like brothers, I mean, there were tears. There, man, it was, it's, man, I just love him. I love him greatly. 
And so I look forward to see how God is going to use him in this new position. And then I look forward to some of the things that we're going to do here and some of the things that it will allow us to do. So just appreciate your prayers. That's what we got going. Didn't want to surprise you.